Blog Quiet, Talk please. Radio. Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My name is Rex Sykes. I'm your host. My guest today is writer-director Terry Green. He's been with us before. He's coming back. He's going to talk about all sorts of wonderful things today. And we'll be getting to Terry in just a few moments. Uh, but also, let me tell you that it's uh, two interviews today. At uh, About an hour after this one concludes, we'll have Chris Jones. He's the author. He's also a director, but he's the author of the Gorilla Filmmaker book series. He's got a new book out now, the Gorilla Filmmaker Pocket Book, and we'll be interviewing him from England uh, live. And uh, so, if you're listening to this archive, you'll just have to look in the podcast or or in the archives. But um, and then I'll be on Film Lad today. Uh, it's 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central Time. I'm the film contributor. We'll be talking about making indie movies uh, at FilmLad.com. That's the uh, radio show and internet show. Uh, but the official website for Rex Sykes Movie Beat is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. That's my name. And you can become a, a subscriber to the website by clicking on that RSS feed right there at the welcome page of RexSykes.com. Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. That is why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. The chat room is open. I want to welcome everybody who's in the chat room. And if you're listening in and you haven't joined us in the chat, you can do so now. And please, if you're listening right now live or even archived or as a podcast from iTunes stores, because all of these interviews are available as podcasts from iTunes stores, uh, what I invite you to do, what, what would really help us out, is that when you know that an interview is coming up, if you plan to listen or even if you don't, please go ahead and tweet about it. Please post it on your Facebook wall. Please share it with your friends by email or put it in MySpace or whatever your favorite form of sharing things is because that helps promote my guests and the information that they provide to you and to others uh, further and faster. Uh, another way to also help support the show and make it more popular is to rate it or review it when you're listening live. Make it a friend or a fan. Uh, go to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast at iTunes Store, rate and review each show, rate and review the entire podcast if you can. And, um, and that also helps spread the word. It gets it out to other people, and I sure appreciate when you do that. Um, let's see here. I will uh, make other announcements later today uh, regarding upcoming guests. Uh, but I will say this, that um, Firestarter Films is coming up uh, in the Milwaukee area, if you're in the listening area, May 14th, it's a Friday from 6 until 12 p.m. Go to firestarterfilms.com and, uh, and check it out. It's a fun night of filmmaking, food, friends, and, and all, of, all of that sort of thing. It's a, it's a film festival. It'll be at the Harley-Davidson Museum in the Milwaukee area. Uh, Peter Marshall, who's been doing our director series and our first AD series, has the uh, Art and Craft of the Director workshop coming up May 14th through 16th in Vancouver. 
please uh, check him out at the hot and fun blog at rexsykes.com, as well as uh, Kevin Serbo's charity coming up in June, uh, A World Fit for Kids. It's a celebrity golf tournament in Las Vegas, so if you golf, if you like kids, if you like charity, if you like Las Vegas or any of those things, please go check that out at the Hot and Fun blog. Well, enough about all of that. Let's get right into uh, talking with uh, Mr. Terry Green. He's an award-winning writer and director. He's been in the business over 25 years. 13 of those years, he's managed a successful motion picture production company, and he's been with us two times before. This is his third time here on Movie Beat, and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with Terry. So I'm going to bring him on right now. Are you there, Terry? Yes. Hello again. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Well, the last time we spoke, you were getting ready. Actually, the last time we spoke, you were in Los Angeles, and now you're back in the Chicago area. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and how things are going for you? Yeah, we've. This is our. I think our third conversation, and each one has been from a different location. We we uh, right. We moved our Los Angeles offices back to Illinois, and now I'm talking to you from uh, my new office that just opened a week ago here in Evanston, uh, right outside the Northwestern campus. So uh, we're just back uh, in the Midwest. I live here, so that's really the reason for coming back. Uh, we were we were out there for about three years, and uh, you know the economy. It was kind of tough time to to be raising money for movies, and so we just wanted to sort of pare things down a bit. But uh, we're back up and running, and things are going smoothly, and uh, it's good to be home. Awesome. Well, uh, so today I thought we'd talk about uh, some of the things about storytelling and and uh, what makes a successful screenplay, but also the notion of what you know when a producer's looking for material, he chooses maybe one project over another project, and and why that might be and or what components might be uh, more appealing. I mean, you know, in, in kind of the broad uh, uh, appeal, you know, to uh, producers. Uh, and any insights that you can share about that, you know, I, I invite you to um, to discuss. So, well, let's start with storytelling. What What is it about you're a writer and, and you've written and directed uh, three feature films. So let, let's let's go in from that angle first. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that for the first thing anybody should consider is, uh, you know, what what do you have a passion for? I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna write a screenplay, and if you're lucky enough to to get it produced, or even if you decide you're gonna take the journey and maybe you know try to finance it and produce it and direct it yourself, that's a long journey. So whatever the subject is. You, you need to be prepared to live with it for, for, for some time. I mean, for me, you know, we're independent filmmakers, so we would write, uh, I would write a script, and, and uh, you know, we'd finance that script, and then eventually we'd, we'd produce the film. And that might take three or four years. It's, it's not like, you know, it's the, the you know, opening nights are fewer and far between, if you know what I mean. So, so you need to pick something. You need to choose something that just you know you're very passionate about, and not try too much to try guess what the industry is looking for. I think, and and that's the real sort of catch twenty two. The, 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 the sort of sort of you know it's it's almost like a contradiction is what I just said is that you know you want to write what you're passionate about. At the same time, you don't want to worry too much about what the industry wants, but you do want to worry about what what elements your screenplay contains that make it sellable that make it marketable and because ultimately you know that's what any producer is going to be asking you know what who's coming to see this film how do i get you know butts in the seats i mean that's that's the first thing especially if it's a theatrical film or if it's not 
they weigh those things. You know, they they sit back and look at the script and say, well, this may be a this may be a cable show or this might be just a video production. You know, straight to DVD and and all of those things are. You know, there's formulas that, that studios have for these things. But if you're an independent filmmaker coming out, you need to have something that's, you know, you're passionate about, that's manageable, you know, preferably a small cast, uh, a, a central location so you don't have a lot of moves. And, uh, you know, weigh those things into the formula and, and work the formula backwards if you can, as much as you can. Um, you know, story elements, we can talk about that for a long, long time. I mean, what makes anybody want to go see a movie? And, and uh, what, you know, what makes you go watch a film in the theaters? It, it, there's really nothing, there's nothing really new to say about that other than, you know, we go to be entertained first and foremost, and we hope that somehow when we get there we're going to be told a great story. But ultimately, if the movie works for us, we, we walk away with the memory of great characters, uh, I think. And so it, it's a combination of all of those things. But, you know, Sid Field would tell you, uh, look, it, you know, it's, it's all about story. It's all about, te- you know, it's all about the old mythology of, of, of creating a hero or an anti-hero and a villain and, and sending that hero down the river. And, you know, and then suddenly the river gets rough and there are rapids and now there's a waterfall until finally, you know, you've got this sort of structured climax in Act 3 and the denouement and all that stuff that all great storytelling should have. But I think that ultimately you want to sit down and you want to know, if you're a writer particularly, you want to know your, your ending uh, so you know where you're going. <laughs> I think that's helpful. And, and I think if you sit down and just wrote a script, if you'd never written one before, it might surprise you. You'd probably sit down and write a three-act structure without knowing you had because that's mostly what you've seen on television and in films. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really a personal process, isn't it? You know. Well, that that is true. It is personal, and 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 you know, we could spend uh, all of the rest of uh, human history probably discussing the variations of of, of screenplays and e- e- whether or not there are only nine storylines. But uh, the uh, I guess a question that I have is, is you've, you've made a couple of statements that I'd like to kind of follow up on. One, it should be an entertaining story, and, and, and I would say, what are some of the ingredients? And again, this is a broad stroke because, you know, we're, we're talking across genres. I mean, I'm not trying to, to get too specific, but what is it that makes something entertaining? You know, I go see a movie maybe because I see a trailer and it looks riveting or compelling or it looks spooky or scary or it looks like it's going to be a raucous, fun time. So uh, we can't address all of those particular issues, but well, what makes something in- entertaining? But also, what about character development? What is it about having good, strong characters? What makes uh, uh, one person's screenplay character development or story development uh, stand out head and shoulders above somebody else's? Maybe maybe it's better to talk about what's missing from those that aren't yeah. good than to try yeah. and talk about what makes it good. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think... If you look at it from a traditional point of view, uh, almost all great stories, whether they be films or novels or what have you, they they share certain elements in common, and, and they and they sort of you know they they they're, deri- they're, they're you know they derive themselves from the old sort of campfire myth, you know the campfire tales. The Joseph Campbell writes about this in A Hero with a Thousand Faces, how we're just retelling old campfire myths. And and um, you know George Lucas did that very well with you know with uh, Star Wars you know you, you very definitive heroes villains 
a rising arc, all of these things, uh, you know, building towards, you know, a final confrontation. And at any rate, I think no matter what movie you see, whether it's, you know, Star Wars or Crazy Heart, you have a central figure who, who, who is missing something typically in the, in the beginning, in the first act. He's, he's got a hole, uh, you know, in his heart or, or, or in his psyche, and he's, he's got to either fill that hole or mend it, but he has to go through a journey to do that. And so the movie becomes his outward journey, and by the end of the film, how does that outward journey uh, inform the the inward conflict that he began the film with. Does it resolve it? Uh, does it you know? Does it eliminate it? Uh, does it does it is it does it get bigger? Um, and I think if you go to movies, you probably have a central character in most films, especially commercial films, that you you connect to right away. And that's that's the character whose journey you're expected to take. And he's oftentimes you know uh, successful when he's an everyman, when he shares the same sort of human qualities and traits that we all share, and we can root for that guy. He's likable. He has flaws, as we all do, so we want to see how he gets through the day, and, and that uh, there's nothing new about that, and I think that's probably the common denominator when you talk about you know, storytelling on film. I mean, yes, you can make movies that aren't about central characters, that aren't about characters that have to go through those that journey, but but those films typically, uh, well, first of all, the studios won't make them because those tend to be sort of art films or, you know, different class of film that they can't sell tickets to. And I think that's the real difference maybe in independent filmmaking, even though the similarities are the same as that you have. I mean, for example, Crazy Heart was not, was a good example because it was not a studio-produced film. It was put together by an agency, and it was made for under $10 million, and it was a small film that a studio could not have made for that amount of money and probably would not have made. So it was put together with private financiers, and you know, and Jeff Bridges was signed on. And at the end of the day, those are the movies that typically win the best, you know, the Academy Awards for best performances. <laughs> Just as the you know the Star Wars and the Avatars win Academy Awards for Best Technical Effects because that's what they do best, um, and so uh, you know. But the two the two films that we just compared aren't, aren't thematically necessarily different. They're just they're just different stories. So I think it's uh, it always surprises me when I go to the movie theater how much everything sort of remains the same, and it really comes down to sort of how well is it shot, how 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 good is the acting. You know, when I go, it's really about that because I'll often go to a film and I'll see a trailer for another film and I'll look over at my wife and say, well, we've, we've seen the whole movie right there in the trailer, so we have no reason to go to the movie. And I think there's a lot of a lot of that's being sort of spoon-fed to us, uh, you know, uh, the audience that it's almost like uh, big blockbuster movies don't want you to have to think too hard, and so they, they generally write, you know, two-dimensional heroes and villains. So it's very clear <laughs> who's who's up against who, and and I and I think that you know a, a different a different smaller audience perhaps is the indie audience who's maybe more interested in the in the psychology of maybe the story and of the characters and is willing to sort of sit through you know what is it girl interrupted or you know whatever the case may be something that's a little edgier or something that's not mainstream. Um, Ultimately, though, it's all kind of the same thing. We're still trying to entertain an audience, aren't we? I mean, even if we're we're, we're producing or, or writing a drama, comedy, or an action adventure, or science fiction, or whatever the case, it's still kind of the same formula. It's just a matter of elements and you know what creates the budget. 
So um, if you are an independent uh, writer, producer, director, whatever you happen to be, you know, you're, you're most likely to go out and make a movie that's about something that's very close to you because that's probably the reason you became an independent. Um, that might not sell to a studio. So I, I guess uh, several ways to skin the cat. I, I just don't, I don't think there's any one answer to this. I think the more I go through the industry, the more I realize not much has really changed uh, in terms of what are the requirements of storytelling uh, since I've been in the business. Uh, other than I remember Tim Hutton, who I directed in, in my second film, said to me, you know, they never would have made Ordinary People. They wouldn't make it today. And by the way, Ordinary People is the movie that, if nobody knows, he won his Academy Award for. It was Robert Redford's first film as a director. And that movie probably would never be made by a studio today. You know, I remember Tim saying to me, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they never make that today. Or if they made it, they would, they would you know, it wouldn't be the same character study that that, that that classic film is. It would be an action adventure about two renegades who go to Mexico and rob banks. And there would be more, you know, chases and some gun, gunshots. Not that there weren't in that film, but we probably wouldn't have as many scenes where you actually got to know Butch and Sundance. You know, they would be flatter. Let me put it that way, and, and they wouldn't be played by, you know, it probably two, star Will yeah. Smith and and and. and yeah. <laughs> right, right. So you know, that's what's changed, I think, in the industry. You know, it's just a, it's it's just a different time, and so, you know, ordinary people today would be an independent film. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, uh, you know, if I go back, I agree with you. I mean, if I go back to the conversation, I agree with you certainly that that sometimes you do see the entire movie in the trailer. I mean, uh, undoubtedly. And I, I think that uh, what you said that the storytelling hasn't changed, but how people are telling stories seems to have changed. In other words, what makes a good story has stayed consistent, but how how people are are executing that may be very different in in terms of what what uh, uh, what they're trying to accomplish with their blockbusters and 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 things like that. It is interesting to note that Ordinary People, which was a fabulous movie, dark. I mean, you know, not not a happy movie, but but uh, you know, it was a wonderful movie, wonderfully made movie, and and wonderfully starred movie. So it is it is interesting to know that we have. You know, more of an uphill battle. A longtime friend of mine and producer Andrew Stevens made the suggestion um, uh, last year, actually, on the show. He said, you know, what producers really should do, or writers should do, is they should go check out what distributors are buying, you know, and find out, you know, what people are actually releasing and, and work, as you suggested, from the back end. And and then if you've got the story and you can and it fits into what they're already buying, then then uh, you know where you know you know that you uh, could probably succeed. If on the other hand you have a story that doesn't fit what they're buying, uh, you may have a, a you know a, another uphill battle. You could still have an uphill battle e- even if they're purchasing it, depending on how you you know how you execute it. But uh, but it seemed to make a whole lot of sense. You know, look at what's look at what they want. And then give them some version of that that is personal to you. No, I agree. I think um, you know you have to decide. I think right out of the gate, if you're especially if you're just getting into this business and you want to be a writer or a director or a producer, yeah, you, you really have to make a decision right away. I think uh, about what kind of movies do you see yourself making throughout your career. And I'm not saying that can't change as your career develops and as you grow and change yourself as an artist. 
But, you know, if your goal is to make Avatar, if your goal is to make Transformers, you're going to take a different path than if your goal is to make, you know, um, Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> just to use True. an example. So it, it's, a different, it's a different kind of kettle of fish. And I, and I think uh, if, if what you want is mainstream and if what you want is an opportunity to build a career within the studio system and have a major Hollywood agent, you know, try to place your scripts with actors and with studios, you're going to have to have those elements in your script that, uh, that appeal to uh, the studio mindset, to the executives. And, uh, and they already know who their audience is. So they're going to look at it and go, okay, I know that 75% of my audience is for Transformers are kids between the ages of 10 and 14. So there better be elements in there that that fit that audience. And unfortunately, oftentimes those movies, as entertaining as they might be, are sort of dummied down for you know less experienced um, you know theater goers. So I, for me, I it's just you know I got late, I got started late in making movies. I wasn't really interested in making movies for for children. So I decided I wanted to make. You know, maybe a more something more for you know a more intellectual film, if you will, and that's a word that you might never want to use when you go in to make a Hollywood studio pitch, <laughs> or you'll never sell it. Um, and there are others you've had on your show uh, that could that could back that up. Uh, but the point is, is I think you have to make a determination right away as to what is your goal, because if you make it too late you know, Hollywood will pass you by. I mean, I, I couldn't go to Hollywood right now as an independent filmmaker and be taken all that seriously if I had Avatar in my back pocket because I'm not the guy typically delivering that script to their door. Um, that's typically somebody about 20 years younger than me who who's sort of on the edge and already knows, and, and he's already sort of in the... He's already sort of in the middle of 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 of, of what's what's happening with the young audience. You know, he's tapped into the zeitgeist, if you will, of, of of why people go to the movies today, and he's not really interested in making an independent film, perhaps, and you know, or making one correctly, and doesn't really care about you know Academy Awards for best writing or directing or producing. Um, he's more interested in just making money. So I think you have to make that determination right away. It's not that you can't have both, but, you know, let's face it, even guys like Steven Spielberg couldn't go out and make Schindler's List until he made E.T. and, and Jaws and a few other movies. And, and so it just, it's kind of, you know, how, how you break into the industry kind of determines what opportunities are created, what you, you know, you create for yourself down the road. Unless you're self-made and you're willing to sort of make that sacrifice and go down the independent path, be totally responsible for financing, totally responsible for investors and 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 everything that goes with it, distribution, trying to get your product out to the to the masses. And uh, but if you if you take that path, you're probably going to have fewer opportunities because that's a that's a much harder. That's a much harder path. You'll have more creative control, perhaps, but you won't be making as many movies in your career, if you know what I mean. So I know I veered off the subject of storytelling, but I think you have to make those decisions uh, pretty early on because they do determine, you know, the outcome is, is, is determined by some of the things you do in the first 10, 12, 15 years of your career. 
Well, I think it's, those are excellent points that you make, and I, I think it is, is it is worthwhile. I mean, maybe crucial, we should say, critical that you know, you know, what the industry is like, what what people are buying, what's what's out there, and who you yourself are, and what kind of career path you want, um, as you have suggested. Because I mean, it's both extrospection and introspection, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to look outward and look inward at the same time, and and find a successful blend or balance that you know wed those things so that you can you move most easily along a path, and then expect you know the apple cart to be turned over at every turn. But um, I, I know I, th I think that's I think that's awesome advice, and um, I'm at a crossroad here where I go, should I just take a break now and uh, and get it over <laughs> with so that we can continue talking? And I think that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's a little bit early, but let me say that you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat at r e x s i k e s dot com. All of these interviews are archived at the official website with the address I just gave you at the interviews blog. You can go in and listen to all the other 130-some interviews that are there by clicking on the name of the guest in the archives and then in the link, the biography link, clicking on the bold link that says to, to listen, click bold link. Um, they're also available at, at the iTunes store. The podcast show name is Rex Sykes Movie Beat, and they're all there as well. You can get one or all of them and, and get them downloaded right to your electronic devices. You'll always have them, so when you're walking or driving or or sitting in a park somewhere or something that you could be uh, using uh, that time to learn more about filmmaking from from the impressive guests that I have as my uh, on the show, my list of experts. Um, but let me also say that uh, I will be on the Film Lad show this afternoon at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time Live. My next guest coming up is Chris Jones. He'll be here in about oh uh, an hour and a half from now, from this point. Uh, he'll be the next in the interview queue, just so you know. But my upcoming guests also include um, Eric Morris. He's the acting coach and author. He'll be back. John Paul Rice, producer, is coming back. Now, I will say that I am going to New York. Uh, we're shooting our pilot next week, and we're going to New York week after that. So, so some of the schedule will be changed. All of the guests who I've listed so far will be the same, but uh, I will update you uh, if you pay attention to the website or otherwise as to when and how each interview will occur live. We'll get back on schedule when I, when I come back from traveling. I may even be doing some broadcasting while in New York. All righty, so back to you, Terry. Um, well, let me ask you this then. Let, let's go with the question of why do you suppose one script gets picked over another? What are the components that make something more commercially viable? Uh, and I know we've discussed some of that already, but I mean, in, in terms of uh, if you're out looking for a project, what kinds of things are you going to look for that increase the likelihood that it's not only going to be made, but that it also might get picked up or released? Well, you know, we've had you've had guests in the past that sort of define the difference between what is a what makes a four quadrant versus a two quadrant film. What is a four quadrant audience? I think um, you had Miss Richardson, is that who it was on 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 as a guest who discussed that pretty thoroughly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like anything else. I think when these scripts are covered, if, when they're read by, by, whether they're read by, you know, studio uh, people or, or, or major agencies, it's like anything else. They've got to know right up front, okay, who, who is it we're selling this, this movie to? And, and inherent in that formula is, okay, this is what that audience in particular wants to see. 
You know, they want to see uh, they want to see an identifiable hero. We've talked about that. They want to see an identifiable villain. They want to see somebody overcome a huge op- a huge obstacle, and typically in a commercial film, win in the end. So that is just that's in a, in a very basic sense. That's a formula right there. It's a formula film, and uh, it starts you know in Act One with an exposition that sets up. Obviously, you know the the hero's dilemma, the obstacle is you know what does he what what does he want and what is he going to have to face to overcome it, and then we send him through a series of and I'm simplifying now, but they we send sure. him down a, you know through a series of uh, adventures and events, and you know throughout Act Two where he almost gets it and then he doesn't, and then other obstacles uh, you know uh, pop up in his way and he has to deal with those before he deals with. You know the final main, you know, uh, obstacle. So, uh, you know, again, I would have, I would say, if you really want to go read Sid Field's book screenplay, that's the one that's going to probably tell you more than any books about screenwriting that have been written before or since. Uh, and people make jokes about Sid Field's because they say, oh, people aren't doing that anymore. They're, they're doing this now, and it's interesting because you'll see stylists, uh, filmmakers who make movies that are different and don't follow a three-act structure. Movies like Memento and uh, Spotless Mind, and just those are two to come to mind, or even movies like, um, like uh, not Reservoir Dogs, but the next one, um, uh, Pulp Fiction. You know, we're, 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 you know in th- those cases, the filmmakers are, are stretching time or they're playing with, you know the order of events, and and sort of you're teasing the audience, and and you know uh, suddenly you don't have a three-act structure anymore. But ironically, you still have the same elements. You still have okay. Here are the bad guys. Here are the good guys, and here's what they've got to do to to get to the to the end of the movie. Uh, but you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that your hero is some great you know great you know he's not Dudley Do Right. He might be somebody else who's very very flawed and. And uh, that's the guy you're rooting for. But I think when a studio looks at the film, at certain films, they've got to know that that's why, you know, that, that, who they're, that, that they're appealing to this audience. These are the elements that are in the film. They must be in the film, in the script. If it's not in the script, it's probably not going to be on the page. And then they add up everything else that goes with that. Obviously, directing is a huge part of that. I mean, if it weren't, they would be just going out and hiring anybody. But not everybody can bring those elements you know, to life, and and so they're looking for typically very experienced and successful commercial directors to to make those movies. But if all you're talking about is I'm a screenwriter and I just want to get my screenplay read and I want it to stand out, then it's going to have to answer all of those basic questions that that the studio needs answered in order to even consider it. And they've got a list, I'm sure. It's a formula. They know exactly. I mean, I don't have it in front of me. I'm only arguing that the same thing applies if you're making an independent film and down the road you're looking for a distributor and it's your responsibility now to shop for that distributor. He's looking for some of the very same things but on on maybe perhaps a smaller scale because he's not going to put $30 million of print and advertising money behind the film. He's not going to, you know, he's he's not going to invest that much money in in the film itself. Because you've already produced it, perhaps, and now you're just looking for a distributor to come along and hopefully give you either a negative pickup or give you some piece of money that you can give back to your investors, or at the very least give you an advance and, and go do some, you know, foreign sales and maybe get it into theaters. I mean, the goal should be should be to try to write a theatrical film. 
Um, if you really want to build a career for yourself, you need to think theatrically because theatrical is what separates you from the pack, and it's also what separates one film from another and, and, and why a movie makes money sometimes and why it doesn't. Um, and movies aren't considered for Academy Awards if they don't make it into theaters. They, they're, they're not, they don't qualify. So, you, you know, if you're trying to get... If you're trying to go down that path, then you want to be able to make a theatrical film. And I guess the best advice is, you know, look at as many successful films as you possibly can that have made a lot of money if your intent is to go down the studio path. If you want to make Good Night and Good Luck or Capote or Crazy Heart, then then look at great films that have not necessarily gone through the studio system, but at the end of the day have garnered, you know, certain kinds of, of critical acclaim. And with that critical acclaim, if it's high enough, comes a certain financial success the, that the film can enjoy. And and so it's just a different way to get there. But, but I again, I still think we're talking about essentially the very same thing, whether you're submitting a, a script to, you know, a major agency to be covered or whether down the road you have a finished independent film that you have to sell to a distributor. They're, they're going to be looking at the same thing. Who is my audience? How do I sell this? How much money do I have to put into prints and ads and, and marketing the picture? And, um, you know, and they break it down even further. And it's going to be, well, you know, how many times do you go to a movie, for example, and you say, well, I really like the story, the acting was okay, or the acting was good, but... Yeah, the story could have used something. The camera work was mm, the lighting, the colors, and the, here's the interesting thing: there's only about five elements in, that are involved in in, in 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 a film. I mean, you can pretty much name them right off the top. What are they? They're picture, sound, um, acting, writing, directing. Pretty much camera work. So that's picture. So there's about five things that all have to work in unison together. And I've often found that when I go to the movies, Rex, that if 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 a movie is weak in any one of those areas, it takes me out of the movie. Just like, you know, if you go and see a well-acted film, if the script's not up to the acting, great acting can't save the script. And if, unfortunately, what happens, you know, is that you get a lot of dummy-down acting because you have dummy-down scripts. And just vice versa, you know, great uh, script, not well-acted, is also going to suffer. And if it's not in focus... And you can't hear it very well, and uh, all of the above. You know, it, it's an experience that that requires uh, all of the elements to sort of come together and and work. And and uh, unlike a painting, you know, uh, or or writing a a novel, filmmaking really is about uh, varied artists coming together and 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 putting their stamp on the film and hopefully making it work. And then editing is, you know, which, by the way, is where we're at right now with my last film. So that's its own, that's its own stamp. So writing is just one element. And you're not necessarily, and I'm getting a little off track here, but you're not necessarily, especially if you're a young writer, you need to be prepared for one thing. Uh, you need to be prepared that the script is a, is a living thing. It's never... It, it's never really set in stone. Your actors are going to add to it. Your director is going to add to it. It's going to change, and, and you're, it, it, might, it might not even change and look like anything you have written in the past. But to tell a brief story about that, I don't know if you know the movie uh, Chinatown. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's quite a famous film, and some people think it may be the best screenplay that's ever written. 
but what a lot of people don't know is that the Academy Award that was won for that picture, which was for the screenwriter, um, uh, was Robert Town, right? Am I correct about Robert that? Robert Town, yes, yes. Yes, he won the screen. He won the uh, the Academy Award and did nothing but fight the directors, uh, the director, all the way through the picture because it, his screenplay kept changing. And at the end, he said, "This isn't anything like what I wrote." And he's the one that won the Academy Award in the end. So, you know, you just gotta you gotta go with the flow in this industry. Be flexible. And, <laughs> well, you, you know, know, Terry. <laughs> Terry, I have always argued that the screenwriting credit uh, or Academy Award is often the, the most difficult one to ascertain because by the time the movie is made and edited, you don't know what the screenplay was unless you can actually go ahead and read it and compare and see what the movie was. Nowadays, that's more. Nowadays, we're we're able to do that. I mean, the fan can go out and go onto websites and get the screenplays and read them for themselves and decide whether or not even even using closed captioning on television can get you close to what the you know the dialogue. But but um, I have always argued, Terry, that. Uh, uh, a good film, or, or that what we as filmmakers should do is take people on a roller coaster ride. That our job is, and, and I don't mean an action flick kind of thing, but I mean yeah. that our job is to 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 create an amusement park for them. Why an amusement park? Because in an amusement park there are sights, there are sounds, there are smells. You get on a ride, you go up and down. It has a certain uh, duration to it. It's over in a, in a shorter period of time. It seems like it goes by really fast. You want it to last longer, and during that time, you're fully involved with all of your senses, and maybe you're scared and all that kind of stuff. But but the person is completely, you know, the job of a good ride is to grab hold of you, take you on it, so that you get off. You want to do it again, and and I think movies should be like that. And I don't mean action films. It can be a romance, a comedy, or whatever. But you need to involve people at all levels. They need to be able to see it and hear it. They want. They have to cry at the right spot and laugh in the right spot and be angry, you know, you know, or whatever. But they, they've got to be involved. And it is absolutely, you know, an incredible art form to and an incredible uh, group of talents who can come up with a feature like that, where where you know people have that kind of. Um, response to it, you know, or, or that they get that involved in it. And, and, you know, obviously some succeed and some don't. But, 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 uh, but that's my analogy, and I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> well, I think, I, no, I, th I, think it's a, I think it's a great one. I mean, you know, it, 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 and by the way, that is what, I, you know, going back to the top of our, our conversation, first and foremost, what an, a studio or just about anybody is going to want to have answered is does this movie entertain an audience? We, it, film is an entertainment. When we sell an investment in a movie, Rex, when we talk to our investors, we don't say, "Have you ever invested in film, or a film, or a motion picture, or a feature film?" Or we say, "Have you ever taken a serious look at investing in filmed entertainment?" Huh? Cool. And be, because it it includes all of those things you just described. It's really, really important to understand, you know, that ultimately what the reason we go to the theaters is to escape, which also, by the way, answers the question of why, even in, re in a recession, uh, in an economic recession, do people go to the movie theaters? In fact, we have set records during recessions <laughs> in this industry. And it's not just because the ticket price is going up. It's because... People get home from work and they want to go escape, and they go to the movies to do that. That is the modern art form. That is what we have, you know. And that is why, you know, maybe they don't want to go see Crazy Heart about, you know, a struggling alcoholic country western singer trying to, you know, find himself again. 
because that's too close to home. That that's why there is that's why there are independent films. Um, but it, there's room for all of it, I guess. But ultimately, it's all a form of it's all a form of escapism, isn't it? It's all a form of sort of it's sort of like going to the it's like going to Six Flags. It's like going to Disneyland. It's, it's what it should be. You're taking the ride. There's the fun house over there. There's the scary, you know, monsters over there. There's there's room for all of it, isn't there? And I think that's the whole idea is that in this culture we live in, you know, this film is our is film is our painting. That is what we are. They are, the filmmakers are our painters. You know, a lot of uh, people don't appreciate that, but it's true. Um at least I like I think it's true just as just as some film scorers for example are are you know are 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 are, are modern composers they are our symphony writers but they're writing in a different for a different medium so yeah I think all of that plays into you know why people go out at all and say entertain me or I want to just get out of my head for a minute and take a ride you know with somebody else and uh I think it's the same thing that, you know, it's the same reason why that one family takes an annual trip to Disneyland. You know, it's the same reason, I think. You're right. Well, I think people want to be captured, you know, not literally, so. Yeah. (laughs) But I I do. I think people want to be captured. They want to be captivated. They want to be so engrossed that they forget what's going on for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, something like that. They, 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 you know, they're pouring out their money, they're pouring out their time, they've taken the effort to drive someplace, or even if they're sitting in their home, which has become kind of, you know, sadly more mm-hmm. passive, mm-hmm. but, you know, they, 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 they want an experience, and the more we can give them that experience, uh, the better off we are, you know, as entertainment providers. Uh, we do have comment though, you know, that filmed entertainment is genius. I mean, I, I really like that, and I and I got to agree. That's a, that's a, a great way of putting it. Let let me ask you, and let me come back to a, a couple of points. We've got about 16 minutes or so remaining, um, and I've got a question or two in the chat room I want to get to, as well as as maybe some by email. But the uh, going back to character. You know, uh, what are the successful ingredients in character development uh, that w- w- we were talking about earlier when you said, you know, sometimes it's the acting, but the, if the screenplay is weak, you know, the acting can't save it. I had that conversation with a, a director this morning before we got in huh. here. I, said, I hmm. said, you know, at best, you know, if you've got a, if we had a week, if it's not going the way we want it, you know, you can be the best director in the world. You might get it up to a C plus, but it's likely you're not going to get it to an A minus. Um, what, what kind of, um, what kind of suggestions or what kind of um, things can we explore when we when we talk about you know what what is it that makes that good screen written character or those you know that the actors can can uh, hang their you know their performance on they go wow this mm-hmm. character has well has you know a lot you off. know who you know who comes to mind um, and and you you may know this already by the way the the AFI a few years uh-huh. ago d- decided to rank the top 100 best movie heroes of all time they counted them down to number 1 mm-hmm. and 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 great characters were in there you know Han Solo all these characters that we know from from movies that we've loved. I mean, why did we love Han Solo? He was somewhere in there, probably in the top 50, you know? Or, you know, why did we like certain, you know, characters that that, that mattered uh, to us that we could connect to? And you know who the number one character was that that, that made the list, that that, that came out at number one? And a lot of people don't know this, but um, it, it it was Gregory Peck's portrayal in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. 
Um, and and of 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 the of the character whose name I'm sorry because I'm just I, my coffee's wearing down. I, I've forgotten the character's name. Uh, it'll come to no me in problem. a second. I, I I forget it too. I so no problem. Getting, but we, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so it, it, this is a this was a lawyer uh, who who stood up for uh, you know it's a civil rights kind of film and everybody knows it's a classic film, but it was this character who people identified as the as, as this great sort of film uh, hero and um, and and I just you know I kept thinking well what is it that he had well let's talk about that for a minute he had nobility he had honesty he had a sense of right. He had a sense of justice. He had a heart. He wanted to do good. All of these things I'm talking about are things that we root for in our in our heroes and any story that we read or that we go to see in a film. And and um, and that to me is 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 universal across the board when you start talking about character. You know, what is it you want? What is your characters are required to have? Well, they're required to have all of those kinds of qualities because those qualities are based on desires. Doesn't mean they can't be flawed. Doesn't mean uh, Atticus Finch, by the way, is the character. Yeah, I was just going to say Atticus Finch. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't mean they don't have, you know, uh, they don't have a past. That where they made mistakes, and now maybe this is a story about redemption, and we're, we want to root for that guy because we're all human, we're all flawed, and a perfect hero is flawed. <laughs> I always like to say that because it, you know there are no perfect heroes really. They're, the ones we want to see win are missing something. There's a piece of the puzzle that's not there yet. That's why we watch the movie. That's why there's a story. And unfortunately, what happens in Hollywood is they find the most common uh, flaws and and exploit them. Okay, this character's kind of a drunk. How many times do you want to see that? You know what I mean? Or this character has, you know, uh, this character has an anger management problem. How many you know, divorced, it, drunken, unshaved detectives can you right? Have? Right. And, and so everything becomes cliche, and it's like, well, yeah, but that way, you know, at least you know, you know, because because I can tell you the way they these producers think. They're like, yeah, and in this scene, and early in Act One, he'll you know he'll walk into the crime scene and uh, he'll pick up the champagne glass and he'll just down it, and well, that'll tell people he's an alcoholic. And you know what? It's funny because when I sent my script to David Strathairn, uh, this last movie that we made up there in Milwaukee, No God, No Master. Uh, you know, an Academy Award-nominated actor, the first thing he said to me was, oh, thank God you didn't make this guy a drunk. (laughs) (laughs) He played a bureau detective from 1919, and he was just so happy that I didn't turn him into a raging alcoholic that was trying to overcome something. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it just seems like in some of the bigger films we get that a lot. And so, you know, all those things I talked about, what makes... What what defines heroism and makes somebody heroic is is important, I think, to to the outcome of the picture. And so, all of the top 100 heroes from the AFI share that, just as all the greatest villains share the same sort of types of flaws. They're just, you know, they're reversed a little bit. And and you want villains who are fun. You want the Joker. You know, want the guy that you can sort of like, oh, this this is just a lot of fun to watch this guy. He's nasty. And sometimes the antiheroes in movies like Daniel Day-Lewis's character, for example, in uh, There Will Be Blood is really a not a very likable 
guy to watch, uh, 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 character to watch. It's beautifully acted. He won an Academy Award deservedly, but the character that's in that film is terribly flawed and and ugly, and has his own sense of justice. And you may walk away from that going, "This is this is crazy. He's insane." But he has, you know. Then you might also walk away and go, "You know what? He had his point. I understand. He had a sense of justice and." And he lived by that, and he never broke that code or that rule. I admire that in somebody, somebody who sticks to their guns, no matter whether they're really right or wrong. That can make a great antihero. So, you know, I just think what makes great characters are when they're fully developed and they're rich and they don't speak in cliches, and the, you know, and they have real relationships with people, and and they're based on you know time and 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 commitments and and. Um, I, I I don't know. Just just go look at any movie you like where you walked away talking about that character, and that's what that's what you want to put in your screenplay. Well, I I appreciate all of that, and 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 one of the things that I like best, by the way, uh, somebody had a question about the Anna here, and I think you just answered that brilliantly. Um, you know, without having the question even asked, so that's <laughs> very good. They, they asked the, the question uh, about. Go ahead. So what what is your take on the anti-hero, anti-hero? No, I think it's the same thing. I just think it's all, you know, look, we're, again, you know, let's go back to the carnival analogy, the circus analogy. You know, we're trying to take everybody on a journey, and every color that we can get in there uh, I think is important, and every shade that we can use on our canvas makes the canvas far more appealing, makes, the, you know, gives it more contrast, it gives it more depth, uh, and I think that's true with draw you know with writing characters and writing storylines it's the same thing we we you know we don't want to see something we've seen before you know and and it's harder and harder to come up with that new idea or to make something look fresh but you know that's what we also go to the movies for hopefully we'll see something that's kind of the same but it's it's different because you know and who knows sure well terry let me ask you this uh um, I've got a question from the chat room, but or I don't want to ask you something. I want to tell you something. I want to say that I think that what you said um, was was brilliant. What I really loved about it, when you pointed out the FI, uh, you know, 100 uh, top character list, is the fact that just in doing that, you've given you're, it's pragmatic. You've given something something practical, some, everyone something practical they can do. They can go and look at that list. <laughs> excuse me, and analyze that list for themselves and, and explore it in terms of, of what kind of characters they would want to write because obviously all of the characters aren't the same, but it gives them you know, a way of studying uh, why these characters become, you know, when they're writing, why these characters have become uh, iconic characters in history. So uh, I appreciate very much that you pointed us in that direction. Um, I want to ask you this, though, and it goes back to a question in the chat room. We've got about seven minutes left. You know, you have access to, you know, great talent, you know, and, and that's one of the cool things about you and your business, you know, that, that you, can, you can get to uh, or get people in to your films. And somebody asked the question in the chat room. They said, well, how do you go about getting someone like a Jeff Bridges in a movie or, uh, you know, talent like that? Is it easy, I guess, is to find a star like Jeff do, to do those kind of projects? Uh, when you were talking about Crazy Heart. So um, can you address that for a bit? And then if we have time, what I would like you to talk about in the you know, couple minutes that we've had is you, know, you have investors that, that you and I have privately discussed, and you've said, 
you know, your investor might say, well, I would be interested in that actor, but not so much this actor because they don't know him. And, and just kind of address that from maybe the investor as well as the distributor side. Why certain? <coughs> excuse me. So I, I'm going well, to shut up. Let you talk. To go back, I mean, I think, uh, for example, Crazy Heart was packaged through ICM Interna International Creative uh, uh, Management, uh, one of the third largest um, uh, talent agencies in the industry, and I think it was Bic Tran over there who, who's head of their indie development. It took her two and a half years to put that together. It was a $7.5 million movie, used some of the New Mexico rebate, developed in-house as a script, and they were able to get to Jeff Bridges, obviously, in that film. Now, if you don't have that, uh, you know, uh, connect, then I think you have to figure out, okay, well, who could be, who could I put in my film that's still respectable and, and at the same time that I, ca I can get access to? For example, we knew in Heaven's Fall, my second film, that we wanted to go after Timothy Hutton. And so we were able to, you know, just basically we approached the agent and said, we think he'd be great. And they said, make an offer, and we did, and that was that. And and then everything built around him, and you know, and then it was funny because uh, David Strathairn uh, was one of the guys that Tim Hutton had recommended. Uh, and he played the judge in that movie, and then of course I built a relationship with David. So then my next movie, I you know, I David became the lead. It was, it's all about networking, you know. Whether you, I mean, in my case, I haven't worked with a lot of big stars, but I've I've worked with John Mahoney and Virginia Madsen and Lindsey Krauss and some you know some people who've been around who've, you know, done well, Anthony Mackie, Lili Sobieski. These are people that kind of come because the others have come. So so I think if you've got a really great character-driven script and, and, and there's an actor for that script, then the best thing you can do is, is get to an agent, but you have to be prepared at that point to say, hey, you know, are you producing this? Then make us an offer. And if you're not producing it, then the best we're going to do is maybe give it a read and see what happens and let you know. That's the producer's uh, job, by the way. Uh, as far as investors go, for me, what my investors are looking for, they're looking for films that they can identify with and, and actors who, who they identify with. And those aren't, that may not be the, the, next, the, the cast of the next teenage sex comedy or the next new Twilight cast. That's probably more likely you know, a Jeff Bridges or an Al Pacino in an under $10 million movie. <laughs> uh -huh. And. You know, they're looking for guys. I mean, my investors are middle-aged guys, most of them. 99% of them are in their mid-50s to mid-60s. So the people they grew up, the iconic actors that they grew up watching were those kinds of guys. So if you approach them and say, I've got, and then mention some name they don't recognize, they're less, li even if it is a viable name in the industry, they're probably less likely to to get interested, but if you say, "Look, I've got a, I've got a small boutique film with Jeff Bridges that you know he's going to do for a lot less than his normal pay because he sees as a, he sees it as a real acting opportunity, and I can get you a piece of that." That's a different thing, uh, and so that's the kind of investor we have. It doesn't mean that's that's everybody's uh, investor base, but because that's who's investing in in my company in our films, that's who we go after. Um, and that we, that's another conversation, but that's basically the answer. Well, and it's a good answer, and I think that you and I have discussed it a little bit before on the air, mm -hmm. but, the, but the notion that in anything, if you are selling anyone on any idea, it helps to know in advance who it is you're selling and what they value, mm -hmm. so that you can, if you have it, you can give them what they're looking for. Or if you don't have it, you could maybe go out and get it, you know, 
with the idea that you're going to provide value to the investor, or you know, <clears throat> so homework, I guess, is what I'm I'm getting yeah. at. You know, research, yeah. know know your market, know your investors, know know your talent, know know your as you pointed out, know your own self, and know what career path you want to take. Yeah, all of those things kind of add up in the end to you know who you become or don't become as a filmmaker. I mean, look, you'll find your own niche. I mean, there's no. There's no one way to get to the waterfall. There's many ways, and and I'm often surprised at you know how you find yourself doing things later in life and say you know what I didn't think I'd ever be doing that, but that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, where you go, yeah, that's kind of cool. Now I'm helping somebody else realize their dream. That's actually kind of cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's fun. Yeah, no, that is very cool. We've got about literally a minute, maybe a minute and a half left. I'd surely like to give you the last word in terms of anything you want to do to sum up. But, and, of course, obviously, we'd love to have you back. Uh, the listeners are enjoying this very much in the chat room. So um, if uh, that's acceptable with you, we'll have you back another time because we've got plenty to talk about. Well, I would love to come back, Rex. And I would say, as far as last words go, I, I, I will quote somebody who said this to me, and this was the very same person out of ICM, Dick Tran, who I met with about a month ago, who said, you know what? This whole industry is about longevity, and it's about your ability to sort of uh, to, to, to last. And, and, and as long as you stay in the game, you always have an opportunity. And you know what? You don't have to swing for the fences every single time. Give me a walk, she said, and I'll get around the bases. I'll find a way. That's all I'm asking for. And so don't expect to hit your first time out. If, if you're looking at this as a career, it's, you're in it for the long run. And it, your hit might not come until you're 50. So just be ready for that. That is awesome advice, and I want to thank you so much for taking your time out today to uh, be here and, and share your expertise and your insights with uh, myself and the listeners. Uh, I wish you, obviously, the best as you continue to edit and do posts on uh, No God, No Master. I know we all will look forward to hearing more about that um, as the information becomes available, and congratulations on moving back home. And we'll, we will, You and I will talk real soon uh, and set up when you're going to be back Next, and of course, the listeners are saying thanks and and that they've enjoyed you and that you make them laugh as well. Um, well. Awesome interview and thanks and and uh, so very good comments in the chat room. We, we're really glad that you're here, Terry. Well, thanks again, Rex, and you have a great time in New York. <laughs> Thank you. I will. All right. I, I appreciate that. All right. Bye for now. Again, thanks to my awesome guest, uh, Mr. Terry Green. And, uh, and I will let you know when he comes back and, uh, and, and we, again, continue these kinds of conversations with him. It is always a pleasure. And I've got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned. And please keep sharing these, this website and these interviews with all your friends and contacts. Next up today, so if you're in the chat room now or you've been listening a little while, listen to Chris Jones, author of The Gorilla Filmmaker's Pocketbook. He's coming up. And please, if you like the interviews, go ahead and tweet about them. Go, just get on your computer right now and go, I had a great time listening to that interview and uh, put up the uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat link so that people can listen to it. Put it on your Facebook wall, put it on your MySpace, email it to your friends, uh, share the podcast link, whatever it is. But that helps get the word out, and that I truly, truly appreciate. Uh, you can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat fan page on Facebook. You'll have to search that one out. Rex Sykes Movie Beat Group is a link on my link. And if you're a Wisconsin filmmaker or fan or resident of Wisconsin, go ahead and join Wisconsin 
film jobs, keep Wisconsin film friendly. It's a cause on my Facebook page. We're trying to make sure that we stay friendly and that we attract productions into our state from the outside uh, after being severely crippled by uh, the actions of our uh, lame duck governor. Um, and as well produce our own movies from within the state and uh, and make sure that they get out into market. Everybody have a fabulous day. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for being in the chat room. Everybody, you are great. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.